0: If you'll please turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 can be found in the Bibles in the chairs, on page 976 if you need it. We're going to finish up Ephesians chapter 1 today, I promise. So, only five more chapters to go. It's been so good and so rich. I'm going to read from God's... Holy Word this morning from verses 15 through 23. But our passage of focus will be verses 20 through 23. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, Our Heavenly Father, as the rain and snow come down from the heavens to water the earth, to nourish it, so too does your word that proceeds from your mouth. So, Father, our prayer now is that it would nourish our souls. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sovereign, exalted, preeminence, supremacy, these are all words that come to mind as we read this passage in Ephesians, and these are all things that we are to think about when we think of the Lord Jesus Christ as he is described for us by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, specifically verses 20 through 23. All of these descriptors, all of this lofty language used by the Apostle Paul has to do with his Great prayer that he is praying for them, that he's praying for the Ephesians Christians. He's praying that they would know, that they would know the God and Father of the the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this passage specifically is taking us deeper and deeper and deeper into that knowledge of who God is and how he has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ. If we want to know Christ, if we want to know more of the grace and of the glory of God, if we want to have a a meaningful faith, a, a vibrant relationship with the Lord in this fallen world that we live in, then we need to know, we need to study, we need to marinate on these great truths of who Jesus is. And all of the truths that we read about here in Ephesians 1. And so my hope and my prayer for you is that in our study of Ephesians 1, it has shown you that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is deep. It is deep. It, It is not a mile wide and an inch deep. The gospel is deep. The gospel is wide. It is as far as the east is from the west. It is as deep as the north is from the south. So let's go farther. Let's go deeper into these truths about Jesus Christ, shall we? As we finish Ephesians 1. So in again, our passage of study, verses 20 through 23, the Apostle Paul shows us that not only is the power of God at work Through the resurrection of Jesus, when God raised him from the dead, but the power of God is at work and is at work for us through the exaltation of Jesus. Jesus has been exalted into the heavenly realms, and God is blessing his people through the exaltation of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look in this passage at the exaltation of Jesus Christ is shown to us in two ways. One, by his position at God's right hand, and two, in his headship over the church. So that's it. The exaltation of Jesus Christ He's at God's right hand, and he is king and head of the church. So let's look at the first thing there. Christ is exalted by his position at God's right hand, and all things are under his feet, Ephesians tells us. Look in verse 20 and 21 there. It states for us that Jesus is seated at God's right hand on a throne. The scriptures teach us in Acts chapter 1 that after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, he appeared to his followers and taught them about the kingdom for 40 days. It is recorded for us in history that he appeared to over 500 witnesses who who saw him, who learned from him, who experienced his resurrection. But we knew, and they knew, that his time was going to be short. So he gathered them together to give them final instructions, and he was lifted up in a cloud before their very eyes into the throne room of heaven where he took his position at the right hand of God. And so the scriptures teach us that the right hand of God the Father is the place of special honor and of special privilege. The right hand of God the Father is where the Lord Jesus Christ, who he sits now to rule and to reign over the cosmos, he is the chief executive of the triune God. We also learn... About this right hand of God and this importance of being at the right hand through the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we're taught that the right hand is the position of favor, it's a position of victory and of power. We read about the messianic promises, specifically in Psalm 110, where we read the scripture has been fulfilled, where the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. This has been fulfilled through Christ's exaltation and Him being seated in the heavenly realms at at God's right hand. At the right hand of God, Christ is seated. He is sitting. This signifies that He has completed His task. His mission is over. It has been accomplished. He has finished the work that was planned for him before the foundation of the world. He's been exalted to the highest place that can be given in heaven, at the right hand of God, where he now sits. We are to remember that Jesus was, in fact, yes, a baby in a manger. He was born into this world to be our Savior. And yes, we remember that he was was crucified, he was hung on a Roman cross and he died for our sins. But when we think of Christ right now, as it stands right now with our thoughts and our imaginations, it should take us to the throne room of heaven. And we are to imagine, we are to see in our minds that he is seated in the heavenly realms, exalted far above all authority, rule, and power and dominion, our passage tells us. That is who he is now, and that's where he is now. So how do we, how do we begin to, to fathom the exaltation of Christ and his awesome power as it stands now? I mean, I, I can't see into the throne room of heaven. I hope that one day I will. I hope that one day you will. We will be there with him. But how do we understand where he is and what he is doing right now? Again, the the Apostle Paul, he does the best that he can in human terms to describe what this awesome exaltation and power of Jesus looks like. And that's why he says, that's why he tries to leave nothing out. He says that Christ is seated in the heavenly realms above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. Christ is more powerful, he is more exalted He is more glorious than any power, anything that we can imagine. Christ is above everything conceivable by us. Name any force that you can think of, any power that you can think of. An army, a government, nuclear weapons, the devil, demons, warrior angels, the cosmos black holes exploding stars gravitational pull colliding galaxies jesus christ is above all of these things christ's exaltation his power his authority it's it's not shared by humans it's not shared even by angels It's not shared by any other created power. He alone is the exalted one. He is the one who now sits at the right hand of God the Father. One scholar states it this way. Christ's exaltation to heaven means that a shift in the center of gravity from the realm of earth to that of heaven has taken place. For the central figure in the drama of salvation has been moved from the setting of earth to that of heaven, where he is now, where he now sits. Paul goes even further to explain what this awesome exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ looks like. Look there in verse 21, where it says the Lord Jesus Christ has been given a name that is above every name. Paul elaborates on this even further in Philippians chapter 2 where he explains it this way. Therefore God has exalt- highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of God is really important in the Bible because the name of God is who he is it is his essence in the Old Testament God gave his name to his people he says I am that I am I am Yahweh he told his people I am the God who is I am the God who was I am the God who always will be that is who I am and in the New Testament Jesus declares that he is Yahweh He is the great I Am. He is the name that is above all names. He is the Lord. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is the highly exalted one who is worthy of every knee being bowed to him in wonder and praise and worship. He's the name above all names. Christ's exaltation. Him being worthy to be praised. Paul says, is not only in this age, not only in where we live here and now, but in the age to come, Christ will be highly exalted. He will be praised. Every knee will bow in honor to him forever and ever in the age to come for all eternity. John Calvin states this to say that, to point out that the exalted rank of Christ is not temporal. It's eternal, and that it's not limited to this world, but shines illustriously in the kingdom of God, and then Paul goes further in verse 22, God the Father has put all things under his feet, all things. Everything in heaven and on earth is subject, subjected to the authority of Christ. He is the master of all. He has universal power over all authorities. And again, his exaltation is a fulfillment of the messianic promise in Psalm 8 that we read this morning. All things have been placed under his feet. All things are beneath him. He is exalted above all. So this knowledge of the great and exalted Christ, it's it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's what we need to meditate on and think about often. But, but so what? Why are we talking about this this morning? Why is it even here in Ephesians? What do we do with this knowledge about the exaltation of Jesus Christ? How does the knowledge of Christ being exalted help me understand the pain and the trouble and the suffering and the bad stuff that we experience in this world right now? How does the exaltation of Christ help you deal with things that are going on in your life right now? And I know, in most of you, there's a lot of stuff going on. If Jesus is so powerful, if he's so exalted, how come he doesn't just fix everything right now? How do we find comfort in his exaltation? It is this. It is this. We must understand. We must understand, as he told us, that his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom, his power, his glory, his exaltation, it's not going to be found on earth alone. His exaltation is to a place that is far greater than the third rock from the sun. His exaltation is to the heavenly realms, to eternity, to itself to infinity and beyond, to quote Buzz Lightyear. And so we must must not set our our minds on just mere earthly things. We must look to eternal hope from beyond this world. All our dreams, all our hopes, all of our longings are not going to be found on this earth. If Ted Cruz or Bernie Sanders get elected, it will not fix anything, I guarantee you. You can quote me on that. It will not make everyone happy, and we will not enter into this age of euphoria. Only the exaltation of Christ can do that. We must put our hope in the one who is seated at the right hand of God the Father on the throne of power. And remember that we have access to him there. That he is seated in the heavenly places, and we can go to him there, and we can find hope. We can find comfort. We can find rest and power and security if we're in him, if we are trusting in him, if we are looking to him in his exaltation. We must not forget these things, we must not forget who he is and where he is now. Lest we lose hope. Because this knowledge that He is highly exalted, that He is supreme over all things, gives us hope. It gives us hope in loss, it gives us hope in tragedy, it gives us hope in suffering and pain. But this knowledge also gives us joy. It gives us joy, it gives us confidence that in Christ there is sure victory. He will complete all things. He is the exalted one. But we also find comfort, we also find hope in Christ's exaltation as the apostle Paul tells us in verses 22 and 23 that Christ is exalted by his headship over the church. Over the church, big C. All of God's people. Christ was given by God to be head over all things to the church, he says. When I was going through my ordination trials years ago, it was quite difficult, quite nerve-wracking. I was rigorously tested in my views on a bunch of different areas, theology, the sacraments, my Bible knowledge, my knowledge of the BCO, and for those of you who have been ordained, you might be twitching a little bit remembering those days. <laughs> it's very rigorous. It's, it's, very, it's very difficult. But one question that would always come up in the trials of, of an ordained minister, when he was examined either writtenly and also or, orally, would be this question. And it was almost designed to try to kind of trick you up. And they would just kind of ask a bunch of basic questions, and they would look at you and go, oh, by the way, who's the king and head of the church? Think about that one for a minute. You start thinking, who's my senior pastor, or who's the, who's the presbytery chairman of certain committee? Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't go there, because if I studied like I should have, <laughs> it was clearly declared. For me as it is for you in Ephesians chapter 1, and it states in the preface to our book of church order that governs our church, that the only king and head of the church, big C, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ alone is the king and head of the church. No human being holds this honor. So we think often and we, as we read the scriptures, as we think about our daily lives, about headship. You know, who, who's the head? Who's in charge? Men, we're called to lead our homes. We are the head of our households. Even governmental documents ask those questions. But when it comes to the church, who's the head? Who's in charge? Christ is the head of the church. As the brain in our heads, control our bodies, we, we can't live and move and have our being without our heads, without our brains, so Christ is the head of the church. The church cannot function without its head. The church is made complete and full by Christ. There's no, the church cannot be the church without its head, like our brains cannot operate our bodies without the head. The church cannot be the church if Jesus Christ is not the head of it. And this is exactly why so many churches have lost their way. Alex, is that not true in Europe? I mean, are we not following suit? And when you take Jesus Christ off the throne and he's no longer the exalted one, the church loses its way. Instead of exalting Christ as the head of the church and doing ministry in his name, the mission of many churches has gone astray, has gone off course. And so that's when you see churches begin to champion and exalt every other single modern cause that you can think of, except for the gospel. And so we must pray and we must be watchful that we don't do this. That we don't involve, that we don't fall into this trap of exalting social causes or any other thing that we can name above Jesus Christ, and his gospel. We must not do that. We must be watchful. The exaltation of Christ, his glory, his power was given to him for a reason. And we see that reason here in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 22 to 23. The exaltation, the power of Jesus Christ was given to him for the church. Christ's exaltation is for the blessing of the church, which is his body, he says. We are the church, the people of God, not brick and mortar or tin in our case around this building. The people are the church. The PCA is not the whole church. We are part of the church. Pick your favorite Christian organization. They are not the whole church. No, the people are the church. The amazing love and grace of God by exalting His Son high above all rule and authority to to rule and to reign and to provide administration over us should lead us to wander and worship and praise. Because He's exalted His head for us. He is over us, He's watching over us. And because Jesus Christ is the head of the church, what is true of Him is true of us. If we are His body and He is the head, then He cares for us. So think about this. If what is true of him is true of us, think about these things that we've been told in Ephesians 1. As he was raised from the dead, so we will be raised also. As he was exalted, so we will be also. As he is now the God-man appearing in glorified flesh in the heavenly place, so we will be there with him also, glorified as he was and is perfect without sin and no longer bound to the powers of this evil world, so we too will enjoy this privilege one day with him in the heavenly realms. What is true of Christ is true of us. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Oh, the privilege of being a Christian. Oh, the honor of being a Christian. For what is true of Christ is also true of all of us. Who are Christians. And so without Christ as the head. The whole thing falls apart. Does it not? And this is true now. Christ must be the head. He is the head. We need the church to be more about Christ. To be more about Christ. We need to be more about his word. And to be more about loving and worshiping God. And more about teaching others to love and to worship God. That is our mission mandate. Christ is King and Lord of all, and we are called to proclaim this. He is the exalted one. Let us proclaim it. This is true in the church, and it must be true in our own lives. If Christ is not the Lord of your life, if you do not submit to his lordship over you, your life will undoubtedly be a mess. Many of you can testify to this through your past experiences. Your life falls apart if Christ is not head. Is your life falling apart right now? But if you do look to him, and you do see him as the high exalted one, you can sing as we sang earlier, Behold him there, the risen lamb. Your perfect, spotless righteousness, the great, unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. Your life is hidden now with Christ on high. Christ is your Savior and your God. Do you know these things? Do you want to know them more? We must not think only of the world that we are in here and now. We must also think of the next, the life that is to come, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling and reigning over all things, and he is keeping watch over his body, the church, us. His kingdom is not of this world. It's better. It's better. And to help us remember that it's better, and that it's awesome, and he invites us to be there with him, we have a feast in front of us. We have a meal that's a reminder to nourish us, and to strengthen us, and to prepare us for that gigantic party that we will all enjoy one day in the heavenly realms, we have this reminder for us that his body was broken, that his blood was shed to fill you, to fulfill the church. Jesus will fill you with his love and with his grace, because as Paul says, he is the one who fills all and all. May he be exalted, and we may we be filled up this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us, by your Spirit, help us to see and experience and glory and dwell on and meditate the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that his exaltation is not like a a trophy or something that we put on the shelf and we look at. No, it it is a heavenly reality that we are to think about and know right now. We are to glory in it. Help us to remember him seated there. The risen lamb, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. Thank you that our lives are now hidden with him on high. We praise you and thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.